Hello and welcome to the Unnamed Automotive Podcast. My name is Sammy Hadjassad and with me is Benjamin Hunting. Say hi to the people, Ben. Greetings, human listeners. After a short vacation, Ben is back to join us and we can uh, talk a lot about cars today. Uh, I tried to double up on the number of car things to talk about. Well, Ben, I guess you took a vacation, didn't really have uh, too much to talk about. What do you think? Is that a good is that a good way to sum up our past week? No, not at all. I had a, actually an interesting car when I was on vacation. Ooh, I always love it when you say you've got an interesting car because it ends up being uh, doubly interesting. Um <laughs> It's true. You always have something cooler than than I ever imagined. I don't think I don't think that's possible this week because of uh, your your track test that you did. I did a number of. Uh, I was at the. I was at two tracks. Um, and actually three tracks. Wow. Throughout the past few weeks. Um, and I have a lot of crazy things to talk about. Do you mind if I? Do you mind if I? Um, upstage your vacation right yeah, now. Yeah, go for it. And name drop okay. those tracks because everyone loves it when you do that. So last week, uh, I went to Montreal twice. Um, the only time Ben was not there, I went. Um, the first time I went to ICAR, which is an old track based on an, uh, I mean, a track based on an old air, uh, air, uh, what is it called? Airport? It's called Airport, Sammy. <laughs> um, and uh, we got to play around with a couple of uh, electric vehicles. We didn't actually take them onto the track, but uh, the ICAR, you know, um, iCar has a couple of charging stations there, so we uh, we switched cars there. Uh, among the cars I drove was the BMW i8, which is a very high-tech, futuristic um, hybrid plug-in hybrid sports car with three common doors. It should be noted. With three common doors. Three comma doors. What does that mean? So oh, you yes, have to have absolutely. a. You have yes, to have I, a, do, I completely understand what you mean. Yeah, this yeah. is a Silicon Valley joke. I love it. It is. Network. Um, Three copies. So the doors don't just open sideways as they should in most cars. These ones flip up like butterfly wings um, and making it very interesting and dramatic to get in and out of the but, car. You know, electrified German butterflies. Uh, yes, as naturally. Um, the car is actually really cool. It gets a ton of attention, um, although I don't know if it got as much attention as the car I got uh, I had this week. Um, and I'll bring that up in a second. For starters, the performance of the BMW i8 is really surprising. It's it's really quick, uh, although the specs say otherwise, about four, four and a half seconds to highway speeds. Um, it feels much quicker than that. And, and I have to note that that is a very fast speed. I think just it's weird that modern Mustangs, GTs, do that kind of speed now. Um like that's a very like attainable vehicle while this car is about 150 Canadian and that's a lot of money but you get a really funky design you get a lot of carbon fiber um construction and um you got a plug-in hybrid car at the same time so it's it really stands out it's an interesting concept too because like you said it's an expensive car but it's not in any way competitive with other similarly priced cars in terms of performance uh, so what you're buying is the concept. You're buying into the the electrified aspect of it. You're buying into the styling. It's it's kind of a car you have to want rather than a car where you competitively cross shop it with uh, an R8 or a 911 or something of that nature. And then you're like, yeah, this is the one for me. This is the one that really fits. I like that. I like that way you mentioned it. It's a car you want. Um, as well, it's not to say that the car isn't particularly competitive. It does have one element in its favor. It is a, pl a true plug-in hybrid. It can make um, a couple of trips on pure hybrid power, I mean, electric power alone. I mean, that's not what you want to, to boast about in your... Well, no, because you, know, you, you can buy that for like a third of the price. If, if yeah, all you want a is a, is a plug-in hybrid, then yeah, you can get that elsewhere. But it does look, it looks fantastic. It looks so cool. Um, and it's got a BMW badge and uh, most people are really excited to pay a lot of money for that kind of stuff. I, I really like what BMW's done with the i-series of vehicles, the i3 and the i8. They're unusually styled cars, but they're not, they're not obtuse. Um, mm -hmm. They're interesting to look at. And I feel if you're going to go futuristic with your styling, don't half-ass it like Toyota did with the recent Prius. Just really own it and build something that looks different from anything else in its class. And uh, the, both the i3 and the i8, as, as I mean, I've driven both as well, and I find them pleasant to drive. And they're, they're realistic options uh, in terms of their electrification. Like, you're not, it's not like a tiny, tiny battery that you can't go anywhere with. An i3 is a good city car. And mm -hmm. the, the i8, like Sammy pointed out, it's, it's a plug-in hybrid, so you always have that backup. Um, the only thing that I don't like about the i8 is the noise that it makes is 100% fabricated. Um, the car uses a turbocharged three-cylinder engine, 
it's it sounds like twice that in the in the car. It sounds badass. Like you you find it doesn't sound like cool. half a nine eleven. <laughs> no, it sounds it sounds so cool. And you're just like, no, the car doesn't actually sound like that. It sounds like the way the car looks inside the car. Well, three cylinder engines can sound pretty good. Yeah, they can sound like a rally car at times. Um, this doesn't sound like it sounded way cooler than that. It sounded like a like a six cylinder. All right. And I found I found that to be a little uh, unfair to the vehicle. After driving that, I switched into the new Mini Countryman um, hybrid, and I wish I had more interesting things to say about this vehicle, <laughs> but uh, it truly is a, mini, a mini Countryman, which is a, a solid car, uh, a really solid subcompact crossover. With subcompact, electric, really? I think that's a good way to call it. It's so big now these days. I still think it's about the same size as an HRV. Okay. Yeah, I guess I could see that with less interior room, right? <laughs> <laughs> the Mini Countryman has quite a lot of uh, headspace, that's for sure. It has uh, more headspace. Headspace is super ones. useful when you're loading cargo. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we all balance we all balance these plywoods on the top of our heads, and it's it's pretty much uh, a, a done deal. Um, and it has really punchy electric powertrain to join it um, as well. That's honestly, it's a it's a solid car. Um, I need to see the pricing on this, but um, I don't really know why somebody would pick this over a regular Mini Countryman unless they're really all in on this. Um, plug-in hybrid stuff and they get a really good incentive as well yeah i, I don't really i agree with you i, I think that it, this is a, a compliance car that helps out with um corporate Standard. average fuel economy ratings and pretty much nothing else and uh and then finally i went back to montreal in a range rover discovery which wasn't the i i mean i really wasn't paying attention to the vehicle but when i ended up in montreal i actually took in the formula e-race that was happening in the middle of the city which was the first time I've ever seen this. It's uh, the first time I could really dive deep and understand what's going on. What What is Formula E, Sammy? Formula E is an open wheel. Uh, it's an all electric open wheel racing series. Um, it has ten teams. Each team has two drivers, um, and the vehicles are all held to a very specific um, standard of twenty eight kilowatt hour batteries. And uh, they have two cars, so that when the when the battery is about to deplete, they jump into another one. Um, halfway through the race. It's an interesting concept. It's also really well managed in the, in the idea of um, cost cutting or cost saving, I suppose. Um, they only have one set of tires for each car, um, which I thought was really interesting. They, um, they have to meet these standards in terms of the, 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 the way the vehicle puts out its power. Um, and it's, it's very conscious in that way. Uh, well, I thought I mean, that was really interesting. There, there are a number of other series that have similar rules. I mean, uh, uh, I believe Formula One and IndyCar, or maybe not IndyCar, but Formula One has in the past experimented with only one set of tires, I believe, for the entire race. Uh, or a set of using the same tires to qualify as you would for the race itself, not, not being able to switch them. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think one of the reasons we're hearing so much about Formula E these days is because a large number of manufacturers, traditional car manufacturers, have decided they're going to enter officially into the series. Jaguar, BMW, Porsche, Volkswagen. I'm not sure about Volkswagen, but um, I know it's... Audi. I I know that Audi is officially taking over the... There's currently a team that's branded Audi Sport, and uh, I know that Audi is officially going to take over that team. And um, uh, a lot of these companies are leaving other forms of motorsport to do this. I know Mercedes-Benz mm-hmm. is leaving DTM, and Audi's leaving uh, the the LMS and or the, the Le Mans endurance racing series, yep. the prototypes. Um, and I think it's the the reason they're doing this is very clear. It's so much cheaper to run Formula E. It's, okay. It, it must be an order of magnitude cheaper to develop a Formula E car than it is, especially considering that um, as uh, this season, all the components are purchased from the same supplier for the most part. Mm-hmm. The, the teams are, have been allowed to do more of their own development this season than they were the season before. But next year, things are going to be blown a little wide open. Uh, car companies are going to be able to develop their own drivetrains and power management. So that's mm-hmm. going to be interesting. They actually are allowed to build their own drivetrains now. It's very interesting to see the discrepancy or the differences between all of the automakers. I mean, all the teams. So it's cool. Like some, like in in season one, they had a very specific setup. It was this powertrain, this transmission. It was a five-speed transmission, and I think it was a longitudinal um, motor. This this season, they're able to change that. Um, however, they fit. They there's some some teams that have 
um, two speed transmission. Some speeds, some have zero speeds. Uh, yeah, they have no have transmission at all. They use a, a direct a, drive. Well, yeah, because the transmission is so the transmission is essentially a structural component in the chassis of that car. So what they choose to do is they can take that because there has to be the, the cars have to meet a certain weight. They can take the weight of the transmission, the shape of the transmission, and, and alter it, and mm-hmm. and kind of uh, customize how they want the car to be balanced. And then there's some people who are using one engine or one motor, and some people who are using two, which is very interesting as well. Um, honestly, it, it is that when I when I started reading more into it and seeing how um, they compete with each other, it was it became more interesting. There's a few things that take some getting used to. The noise, for example, is not like any other sport racing series that you have um, been to before. I'm not going to say that there is no noise. There is a noise. It sounds like a sound. It it sounds like a, an effect from a. Uh, your favorite sci-fi movie stretched over an hour. Like <laughs> you can also imagine hear the tr- a door opening in Star Wars and just hearing it stretched out over an hour. You can also like, hear the you can also hear the tires, which is yeah, interesting. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I went with the J- Jaguar Land Rover, which is an interesting choice to invite people to these races because they are dead last in this series, um, and that's because they're using a season one setup instead of season three, which they're currently in. Um, so they obviously have some catching up to do. They're probably going to jump in full swing next year, but they're doing, they're, they're saying that they're, um, they're seeing a lot of positive gain. They're bringing along their I-Pace concept car to each of these races and they're showing that off. Um, another cool thing that's, that really blew my mind was the robo race. They do these tests at each of the racetracks and, uh, that's kind of cool. They, they have this dev bot, which is based on an, uh, an LMP three, vehicle and they just stuff it full of like computers and stuff and uh, basically a driver drove the car around the track a couple of times and then um, less and less involved in the driving process and then jumps out and then sees how the car does it um, so on day one the car didn't do so well it um, it ripped through the track and then bumped a uh, I guess like pretty much like scraped a, t- a wall and then just stopped it was like critical error I touched the wall and then just stopped going. But then the second day, um, the driver got out after his test laps pretty much sooner, and um, the car kept going. It was like addicted to racing. It was really interesting to watch. Well, you know, um, so, something else that I think is cool uh, about Formula E too is not only do you have robots racing, but it, it's truly a, an international series. Mm-hmm. Um, if you look at who's won races. There are teams from France, Germany, mm-hmm. the United States, China, Japan, India. Yeah. And um, Britain that yeah. have all won races. In fact, the most the the most successful team is from France, and uh, the drivers who are involved in the series too. It's kind of a, a interesting mix of drivers who used to have rides in other series, other open wheel series, and uh, for whatever reason, no longer have those, <laughs> no longer yeah. have those seats. Like uh, guys like Nelson Piquet Jr. Um, and there's a lot of former test drivers from Formula One and IndyCar who have made it to Formula E as well as uh, full-time drivers. Um, it's also interesting, the fan boost is another aspect to the race that some people find a little gimmicky. Uh, basically, this is a voting system that allows um, the fans to give their favorite driver a little extra boost throughout the race. It's not a huge boost, and a lot of people say it's not enough to um, allow others to pass each other, but it's enough to initiate a pass, and then you just have to finish it off. Um, it's an interesting aspect. Again, some people just don't like that gimmick of, of adding somebody to the race. Well, you know, uh, the, I, I had a chance to see Formula One, sorry, Formula E as well, uh, last year in Long Beach and in Long Beach they use, so Formula E races almost exclusively on street courses. And the reason to do that is because the cars are not extremely fast. I think they top out at 140 miles an hour. Is that correct? Um, 140. Did you say that? Yeah, 140. They reach 140, I believe. Yeah, so that's their top speed. I don't think they can actually go faster than that. So that's kept them off of a lot of racetracks, uh, just from an organization perspective. But in Long Beach, they have the Long Beach Grand Prix every year with IndyCar. And so they already have a street course that's present and waiting for them to use. They don't use the whole course. They use a portion of it because, as Sammy said, uh, they only have so much battery. And the lap, the, the race I attended was only like 44 laps which is really not a lot um, for a course of the size of what they were running in Long Beach. But 
the 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 race that Sammy attended in Montreal was somewhat controversial because mm-hmm. so I live in Montreal and the city's in the middle of spending way too much money to celebrate its 375th birthday. And whereas most of the other Formula E races, if not all of them that have occurred in the on the current season, there was one in New York recently, for example, they were all sponsored by various companies and that took care of all the costs of throwing the race. Like you have to shut down streets, you have to repave certain areas, you have to put up barriers, you have to compensate merchants, et cetera, et cetera. And uh, that's all taken care of by sponsors. In Montreal, we had no sponsors. The city, I believe, paid something like $25 million or $22 million to bring the race here, and it created a huge month-long, it's actually still ongoing, um, traffic kerfuffle downtown, where all there were people who couldn't get to their homes for weeks at a time. They had to cross bridges to go over roads, uh, which meant that they couldn't use their cars. Uh, they, it, was, it was a huge hassle and still is. The reason I'm pointing this out is because Montreal happens to have a world-class Formula One racetrack downtown. It's on mm-hmm. an island called Ile Saint-Hélène, which is just off the uh, just off from the old port of Montreal. And there's a metro station that goes there. There's bridges that go there. There's a huge amusement park there. The casino is there, and they use it every year for the Formula One race. And for whatever reason, they decided not to use that existing facility for Formula E. And I cannot think of a single reason why they wouldn't. And I know a lot of people might say, hey, they race on road courses everywhere on the on the circuit. Why wouldn't they do the same in Montreal? Actually, it's not true. They, they race in, when they go to Mexico City, they race at Hermanos Rodriguez, which is a racetrack, uh, instead of using a, a street course. So there's no reason why they couldn't have done that in Montreal as well. And it caused a lot of ill will between the series uh, and the people who live in this city. And it kind of made a really negative first impression for the people who live in Montreal of, of what Formula E is all about. What's interesting, I, I can see why they make it happen in the city. It, it's bringing the racing to the people, and with the lower um, noise standards, they want to make it m- more of a central thing in the city. But, but you're right. Get, there's... It doesn't get much more central than Il saint Helene. I mean, it's right there. It's it's mm-hmm. Formula One races there, which means it's not. It, it's definitely good enough for Formula E. And it's a track with a lot of history too. Uh, and it's actually I've I've ra- run, driven that track myself, and it's 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 fun to do. Um, it, it's very puzzling, and it, it's kind of the latest in a long list of things the the current administration in Montreal has done in terms of spending money and irritating its citizens. But if you're going to bring a, a racing series, it's probably a good idea to not add, not ask in the first year for the city to spend a ridiculous amount of money on it and make it horribly inconvenient for the people who live in that city. Um, yeah, I agree with you. It seems like they also, you mentioned, did you mention that, uh, the motor, the Mexico series uses a, a, a track, right? Yes. Okay. So it's not like it's a, it, there's no precedent set. Precedent no, set. and they've been using it for years. So yeah. Mm-hmm. And they, 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 as a result, attendance wasn't great. Um, most of the tickets, uh, if, I mean, a large percentage of the tickets were free and a large percentage of the tickets that would have been premium tickets which would put people up front in the stands near the track where the cameras will see them when they're televising the event those were given out as well or people Mm -hmm. were upgraded when they arrived at the venue uh so uh, the response from the city i think was kind of lukewarm to formula e absolutely it seemed like that but you know what there was a lot of people in the stands which is one thing but uh, the city as a whole seemed a little um i don't know if they were against it but they were lukewarm that's for sure it's too bad, too, because Montreal is extremely motorsports friendly. Uh, we've had NASCAR, IndyCar, and Formula mm-hmm. One races here and at Mont Tremblant, which is about an hour and a half outside the city. So another Formula Formula One track in the past, but it's it's more recently run kart and IndyCar races there. So the, the city is, and, and Quebec in general is very into motorsports, and I just kind of think the whole thing was mishandled. So I was wondering uh, if I feel like I've been talking way too much. Um, <laughs> why don't you... Tell me what you think, uh, what you've been up to, what you did during um, all of this. Well, uh, on vacation, I I, uh, did a road trip through the island of Vancouver, um, just off the coast in BC. And uh, I was driving the Genesis G90, which is kind of funny because almost exactly a year ago was the first time I drove the Genesis G90, and it was also in Vancouver, (laughs) Mm -hmm. which is where they had the launch event. So it seems I'm forever destined. I've tried to book the car here in Montreal several times, and things have just come up to make it impossible so i'm, I'm only destined to a west coast drive the g90 
And uh, I wanted to see how it held up. I liked it a lot when I drove it last year. And we, we drove it at a fair distance. It was uh, a full day of, of driving. And this time, though, I had a, a week um, of driving in the city plus about 500 miles of highway. And, and on that highway, a, a good portion of it was two-lane because uh, Vancouver Island is you know fairly rural once you get outside of Victoria and Nanaimo um, and head up to the west or the, the, the northern tip. So I, it was a, a chance to really explore the car um, in kind of a cruising environment, and uh, I, I, I was fairly impressed with with how it performed. And any any new thoughts on on the way this Genesis G90 compares to the rest of the se- the segment? Well, so the one I had was the 3.3 liter engine, the the turbocharged engine or twin turbo, I should say, and I think it's twin turbo, mm-hmm. and it's a V6. Uh, there's also a 5-liter V8 that's available from from uh, Genesis, which is the same engine you would have found in earlier Genesis cars back when they were still marketed as Hyundais. And uh, I, I think I, I prefer the turbo. Uh, it has 365 horsepower on paper. I think it has a lot more than that. I, I don't think that's accurate because the car is extremely heavy. It's close to 5,000 pounds. It's a very large car. It's a, it's a huge executive sedan. It's intended, you know, it's... It looks like it's intended to compete against Mercedes-Benz and Audi and, and BMW, but I know that Genesis is not targeting those companies. Um, they're targeting people who might have been more interested in, say, a Lexus LS. Uh, they're, they're realistic about their chances of you know winning hearts and minds in the large sedan segment. Mm-hmm. So uh, compared to an LS... I would definitely take the Genesis. I, I like the the driving feel is more engaging. It's not a sports car whatsoever. Um, it's a comfortable car, uh, first and foremost. Even when you have the car set in sport mode, it doesn't really provide you with a lot of feedback, but it, it, it doesn't feel out of its element at any time. I, I, I got caught behind a huge train of bikers. I want to say maybe 40 bikes on a two-lane road through the mountains. And they were not being very cool. Uh, when we would get to pull-out lanes, they would put someone in the left lane so no one could pass them. So I had to pass them mm-hmm. when I could. And it took me about four tries to get by everybody. But the car gave me the power I needed to do that when I needed to do it. And I was never tired at the end of the day either. Like I, I spent two full days in a row driving it long distance. And at the end of the day, I felt pretty fresh. Uh, and, it, it, you know, my passenger felt the same way. And I had people in the back of the car too. And it's enormous and comfortable. And I, I, the price is right for the car. I believe in the United States it starts at around sixty thousand, and uh, compared to what you would get from a more established luxury mark at that price, I, I think the Genesis is uh, something people should be looking at pretty hard. That's uh, that's really cool. I mean, I've always been impressed. I haven't I haven't driven the G ninety yet. Uh, I had the G eighty a few weeks ago, as we mentioned. Um, it's a it's a really impressive car. They they show that they know what they're doing in this segment. And uh, the G90 seems to be like the true top part of that, of all that knowledge, right? Yeah, there's there's, there's a few things that are missing from the car that you, you kind of scratch your head about. Like you can't get a panoramic sunroof in the car. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't really care about that, but there are people who will. And you can't get massaging seats in the back or anywhere really, um, which is another kind of a head scratcher for a car in that class. But if you look at the price to features ratio, it's it's pretty good. Um, I think even I think the most expensive G90 is only seventy five thousand dollars, and that's with every single feature added on. So uh, my car was also all wheel drive, which is an option. You don't have to get that. Um, but uh, it's it's very very value centric. Even though Genesis is not marketing themselves based on value, they're they're marketing kind of an experience, a luxury experience. If you buy one of these cars, you don't actually ever have to see the inside of a service bay. They'll come pick up the car for any maintenance, and they'll drop you off another identical G90 for you to drive while your car is being worked on. Mm-hmm. And that's that's rare in the luxury world. Uh, so you know the, the company knows they have to try harder, and that's one of the ways they're doing it. Cool. Um... What else is on your mind? Uh, any any other cars? What did you come back with? Well, uh, I'm currently driving an Audi TTS. Ooh. And That's it's interesting. Bright. I haven't driven a TTS yet, so I'm... I'm... It's bright yellow. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, and uh, it doesn't seem to attract too much attention. I was surprised. Mm-hmm. Um, you would you would think that a bright yellow TTS would would draw eyes, but uh, I you know I think in Quebec they're a little more common. The TT is a very popular car here. Um, mm-hmm. Underneath its skin, I, I think everyone's familiar with what a TT looks like. They, they were very iconic design when they first came out in the early 2000s, but um, they've become kind of a baby R8 at this point. They're more angular. 
a little longer, a little more stretched out. It's a two-seater with uh, a set of back seats that you don't ever want to put someone in. I've done it, but I don't recommend it. <laughs> there's there's no need to do that. I It's got decent cargo space. I hauled some track tires home for my Datsun in it uh, this week, and folding down those seats gave me lots of room. Uh, underneath the skin, it's basically a Golf R or an Audi S3. It's the same platform, the MQB platform, with the same engine, 2 liters, 292 horsepower turbo with the all-wheel drive system. Um, the TTS is automatic only, so you have the DSG box or uh, the, with the, the dual-clutch transmission. And um, mm-hmm. one thing I'm noticing about the car is in the past I've driven the TTS, the previous generation car, and I found it, it's kind of like a mini GT car. It's it's not exactly a sports car because it doesn't feel very connected with the road. You don't really get a lot of feedback through the front wheels and the steering wheel. Um, but at the same time, it's very stiffly sprung. Uh, the car, you know, Montreal's roads are fairly rough, and there are times where it feels almost as harsh as my Datsun does going over the bumps. And my, my Datsun's fairly stiffly sprung as well, but more to the point, my Datsun's 40 years old. <laughs> so you would think that... <laughs> The, this, the, 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 the Audi has adjustable suspension. You can go to comfort mode. You can go to dynamic mode. You can set it up individually to figure out what you want. But uh, it, it bounces you around, even in comfort mode. And it's kind of weird to contrast the, the idea that it's a GT car with the idea that it has a sports car spring rates um, and then try to resolve that and figure out who the, who the buyer is for this car. Because I think – I mean, who, who do you think – if you're if you're looking at a TTS, what else do you think you you might be looking at? Uh, I guess maybe an SLC, perhaps. Well, that, that's just, SLC. Yeah, that's that's a good point. Uh, it's although a the SLC is a convertible, yeah, right. but it, it's a hardtop convertible. Mm-hmm. Do you think it would be someone? Do you think it's like a two series? Yeah, that sounds about right. And the two series must be—is it more affordable than this? Uh, I think if you get the 228, yes, but a okay. TTS is probably like a M240 type pricing. Okay. But um, there's another. People keep asking me about the uh, the the Boxster and the Cayman mm-hmm. in comparison to the TTS, and, and I don't I don't really see a comparison. I don't think I think it's a different customer. I think the the TTS is more about style and. Um, performance but not necessarily sporting performance if you if you get what i'm saying yeah i get you uh more like the the straight line kind of feel of performance yeah it's decently quick it's actually as fast as the i3 uh that you were talking sorry the i8 that you were talking about earlier okay four and a half seconds to 60 it's got and a big part of that is launch control of course but that's the same for the the golf r and the same for the the s3 i I really really like the golf r and the s3 Mm -hmm. i don't remember them being as rough as the tts I can actually tell you I had a Golf R this week, and um, it was not particularly stiff at all. It was uh, it was pretty good. So it's kind of like it's kind of like the TTS was meant to be a more focused Golf R, mm-hmm. but they missed kind of part of where that focus should go, and I think they kind of overdid it on the springs. It's not uncomfortable to drive, but you notice it. I understand. Okay. Um, it's a shame because it's a very attractive looking car and the interior is also really well designed. It's, it's a very clean interior, driver focused interior, if I recall. Well, the, the interior is a little strange because Audi's done that thing where they've decided to get rid of the screen and the center stack. Mm-hmm. So you just have the screen that's in front of the driver and it's, it's, it's a beautiful screen. I can't remember the name of it now. There's a specific name from, for Audi. Virtual cockpit? Virtual cockpit, that's it. And uh, you get, uh, I don't even know how many inches, this is 12, 14 inches across, and you mm-hmm. can configure your gauges, you can see navigation. But um, more to the point is every feature in the car has to be accessed through the screen. So we're talking um, infotainment, navigation, vehicle information, uh, some of the aspects of climate control, I believe, are in there too. Your phone, setting all that up. It all happens through there. It's not as intuitive as it could be, especially since the MMI controller, which is the rotary dial uh, to interact with the system, is on the center console still. Interesting. So if you're used to looking to the middle of the car to make certain selections and then looking in front of you to make certain other selections, you're going to have to break yourself of that habit. Right. And, and the buttons are kind of all over the place. The volume control is all the way at the top right uh, on the console. I actually didn't see it until three days into driving the car. I've been using the steering wheel controls before I realized there was another controller. And uh, there's another control that's up at the top left. The start button is also at the top left of the console. It's, I don't know. I think Virtual Cockpit is great, 
but there's definitely a learning curve and I find myself looking having to look down to see things versus looking over at where a screen would be mm-hmm. like especially for song names or radio stations that's a little distracting but once you got did you get used to it yet and what do you think i mean i'm not, I'm like not totally used to it i'm not totally used to it i okay. still i still find myself having a hard time looking down to the left to see what track i'm listening to interesting you know, little, little things like that um, for everything else virtual cockpit is great but i don't know if it's the all-in-one solution that it's been made out to be here that's very interesting. See, I like the idea of the of the the main screen in front, like one screen doing everything. I'm I'm kind of call me a bit old fashioned. I do like one screen. I don't like a bajillion screens. If there's going to be a high dis, a high resolution display in front of the driver, let me do almost everything I can do with the other screens in that one screen. But now the, the only the, thing that bother you're probably going to tell me this. There's other people in the car, right? And they might yeah. want to know what's going on. They might That's want a to great know. Point. The, they might want to know what where you are on the uh, in the navigation display. They might want to change the the song, um, any of that sort of stuff, right? Yeah, they're locked out of that. They can't they can't set up they can't set up a new destination. They can't use the Bluetooth phone, um, all that kind of stuff. It's it's all it's all for the driver. It's very driver focused. Um, the other thing too is the form factor of the screen is longer than it is tall because of the you know the nature of a, a gauge display. And as a result, for things like lists, if you're looking at like a list of radio stations or a list of songs, you're only going to see like three at a time. So scrolling is something you have to do a lot more of. Mm-hmm. So you're more engaged uh, and taking more attention away from driving when you're doing that. So that's another way the form factor kind of works against the all-in-one aspect of the of the design. Interesting. Now, you were talking about the, TTR, the TTS and uh, how it's very much like a Golf R. And I said, I had a Golf R. Um, I also had three other vehicles to go along with this Golf R. We had a very big track comparison of all of the 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 real hot hatches um, or compact sports cars in the industry. Um, we started with the new Honda Civic Type R. We followed that up with the Focus RS, the Subaru WRX STI, and the Golf R. And we had a chance to drive these on the streets and on the track. We got some... Um, a, a consistent driver to drive it, um, all four cars and give us a, a lap time. It was a little wet when we did the track time, but at least we were all in the same conditions. And uh, the results are very interesting. Now, I don't know if you know much about this Honda Civic Type R, but apparently everyone in the city knows um, that recognizes the Type R, which is something I did not expect when I drove it out of my um, parking spot and around town. Everyone went nuts for this thing and i don't know if they know what they're looking at or if they just see a crazy car because it looks overdone it looks like somebody it's went way overdone it looks like somebody went to a part source or an auto zone got everything and then slapped it onto the car in fact when i picked up my friends in it they like started laughing they asked me whose car is that like what kid did you rob from high school that uh, that you're driving and that's a bit of an embarrassment i don't know if honda wants that reaction um, but then again, they got plenty of other reactions while I was on the road. Uh, I have people taking photos of the car at stoplights. I had somebody following me, uh, around town. Um, the other less exciting, uh, or less, I don't know, the, the, the reactions I wasn't into were the ones that were involving other people, particularly those in some muscle cars who just wanted to show off the, the power of their V8s in comparison to the turbocharged four cylinder engine in the type R. So you're saying you got people threw down the gauntlet at stoplights. Is that what you're saying? Absolutely. And I didn't know what to do in that situation. The type R is not a stoplight machine. Um, (laughs) And uh, I didn't, I mean, I wasn't driving in any aggressive way. Maybe the car just always looks like it's ready to do that. It Uh, certainly does. And you know, it's interesting. You mentioned um, the image that it's trying to portray. What's the pricing on the type R? In Canada, I believe it's fifty grand on the on the dot, and, and in, what the U- about in the U.S., it's, is it in the thirties? About thirty-four, yeah, thirty-five. Okay, so that's that's not so bad. I was gonna say, is the car, is the image of the car match up with the the 
financial means of the people who want to buy it. Like you, you use words like high school and kid and stuff when describing mm. how it looks. And most kids in high school can't afford a $50,000 car. Not so, without some ridiculous uh, loan in the process. Is, is it like a 35 to 45 year old person out there who's going to look at the Civic Type R and be like, yeah, that's how I want to show up at work every day. <laughs> but we laugh about this, but there's people who are doing that with the Civic, right? I mean, not the Civic, the WRX STI, which I mean, it has it's a big nowhere win. near as over the top. It's See, nowhere near. I, I, I'm telling you, Honda looked at the SDI and said, "We can do that too." And, um, and then they said, "And the rear is going to look absolutely crazy. It needs more vents. Add vents everywhere. Can we put vents on the glass? Can we have vented glass?" I mean, come on, it's a it's a hatchback, right? It's it's hatchback only, and um, it's just super busy from behind. Uh, yeah, everywhere. Uh, not just behind, literally everywhere. There it is. It's it's an eyesore. Uh, it does not look good from uh, close. Doesn't look good from far. The only way it looks good is when you're done uh, tracking it, and um, it's all, you know, it's extremely, it's extremely fast. I mean, well, it's how how did it do in comparison to those other vehicles? It was very fast, and I don't know if that's because the tires. It was the fastest of those four. Um, It was the fastest of those four, and it never feels like it has just a hundred, like 306 horsepower. Uh, put it into comparison, the Seabrew has 305, and the Focus RS has 350. Um, this did not feel it, – it feels out of, the, out of this world. Um, What's the weight difference? What does it weigh? It's a little bit lighter, about 200 pounds lighter than the other ones, mainly because it doesn't have an all-wheel drive system. It's only front-wheel drive. Um, additionally, the – the shifter is is really slick, really smooth, and um, honestly, the car was so easy to drive quickly. Like just you can you felt at home right away. I was really impressed by that aspect of the vehicle. Now, do you think that not having front wheel, sorry, not having all wheel drive is going to have an impact on sales in Canada or the northern U.S. where we've everyone has been brainwashed to thinking all wheel drive is necessary? I would say. Um, no, I would say that's a no because of what this car is. Um, it is the Type R, and apparently people are in love with that phrase, the Type R, um, that trim level. They are sold out all the way until next year, which I know isn't that much. Isn't how many? Time. How many are they bringing? Uh, I don't know the the limited numbers, but as far as I understand, it should be. I mean, I think if you can order one, you can get one. Uh, you just have to wait for it. Um, and in addition to that. People will buy these cars no matter what wheel drive they are. I think people are in love with Honda performance vehicles and um, have been waiting for something since the S2000 to really um, capture their that price range and that um, performance category. Well, it's interesting though because the S2000 was a failure. In what if way? It, it stands with it. Enthusiasts are are hunting these things down. I think sure. they they have retained some resale value over the years. But if it if it was a successful vehicle, it would still be on sale. I mean, the Miata outperformed the S two thousand in terms of sales, and even though it was not nearly as fast or as hardcore, and I I'm just curious as to because you referenced that demographic, people have been waiting for this since the S two thousand. The S two thousand was a vehicle that was pulled from the market because it did not find an audience. So they're dramatically different cars, and you know Honda doesn't have to run a separate production line just for the Civic Type R like it would have had to do with the S two thousand, and nobody buys convertibles. So all those things, all those things were working against the Roadster, but um, the Type R, I don't know if it's a, I don't know if it's a guaranteed slam dunk. I think I, you know all performance cars have a certain um, fan base that's right there ready to get the first ones, and there's that first year of excitement about the car, but sustaining that momentum for sports cars and performance cars is always a challenge. That's, so, that's true. I mean, I, I won't say that it's going to still be this popular in, in a couple of years. We've seen that with other performance cars that people have been dying to get lightweight, rear-wheel drive sports cars, the BRZ and the FRS or the 86. They went nuts right out the, uh, right the dealership, and then it petered off pretty poorly. Uh, everyone got what they wanted, and that's it. I mean, even even the the Miata and the Corvette, you know, two mm -hmm. of the longest standing performance car nameplates on the market. They they they've shown the same type of initial surge and then gradual uh, gradual trickle down to a more modest level of sales. The interesting thing is how this car behaves with 
in comparison to all those comp- the the competition. The STI, the Focus RS, and the Golf R are some of the coolest cars you can drive. And somehow, somehow, the Civic was absolutely fantastic. I think the tires have something to do with it. It uses those Continental um, Extreme uh, High Performance Summer tires. Uh, they were they were seriously sticky tires. And uh, the same goes with the Focus RS, which uses the Michelin Pilot Super Sports. And those are quite costly tires as well. Uh, the other two vehicles use more reasonable tire setups. Um, the Subaru had the Yokohama Advance V105s, while the Golf R had uh, Pirelli P0s um, at each of its wheels. So it's very interesting to see how these cars all behaved on the track. The Subaru was honestly one of my favorites. Despite it being the third fastest car around the track, it was a vehicle that didn't need to slow down uh, to cool down. Uh, The tires kept going. um, And the feedback that you got from the steering wheel was uh, was really impressive as well. None of these cars have that much feedback. And a couple of my, my colleagues were saying that it felt like you were constantly wrestling the car. The car was always fighting back, and uh, I thought that was really cool. I like that aspect as well. But while I was in the the Focus RS, I had the opposite reaction. It felt like the car was just like, oh, I've got this, and did everything for me. And I didn't like that as much. Have you, yeah. do, you have, do you have any thoughts? Have you ever been on, in, in any of these cars uh, on, the, on the track before? I've actually been... Uh on the track in the STI and the RS, um, mm-hmm. and I've driven the R Golf R fairly extensively. Mm-hmm. Um, I haven't driven the Type R yet, the Civic. But uh, yeah, I, I'd say that's an accurate assessment for sure of how the, the Focus RS feels. It feels very video game-ish, like there's a lot of computers going on behind the scenes, letting uh, trying to figure out how to keep the car pointed in the right direction. Um, and, and then there's like none of that in the STI. It's like, it feels so simplified and old school in comparison i know it's well, not you, it's got a fantastic I mean, center differential that routes power through the yeah. to, to the front and rear of the vehicle i it's it's true and you you do feel the effects of that center differential but I, if i'm not mistaken is the sti a hydraulic steering system it is still? it's still yeah. a hydraulic steering setup so that accounts for the you know what what is now being termed as the vehicle fighting you is actually <laughs> you getting actual road feedback transmitted through the steering system. I mean that's what I said. I said this is an old school car. I like that. I like the amount of just communication constantly going on. Um, I called it a dinosaur um, in that sense in comparison to the other vehicles. Um, we some people called the Focus RS a, a scaffold. It was really easy to cut through the track. And that Type R, honestly, it over it it really. Um, overwhelmed everybody. It was something that everyone was so amazed with that they couldn't have expected it to be that good, and it turned out that it was like that. However, I have to give I have to give a disclaimer. The car broke down twice. In fact, um, Ouch. a clamp that attached the turbo housing um, w- under the hood had popped off twice. Um, and uh, no matter how many times we we screwed that clamp back on, it fell off again. And uh, we had to send it back to Honda where they found that that clamp in particular was faulty and they had to give us a new one. Um, after that, it didn't uh, have any issues. And uh, one other car actually had a, a, a slight uh, moment and that was the Golf R, which had a check oil level uh, warning, which urged us to t- check the oil level, which was low, which was weird, but um, all good afterwards. Huh, so... so- where did that oil go? <laughs> I have no idea. I wish I could tell you. Um, Do you think it frothed? Um, was there was there froth in the in the crankcase and it was causing a low reading? Or unfortunately, I wasn't there to to experience this. It. I don't think so. It couldn't. This was after our street drive, and it was after a full day of driving, and um, it was on a, a simple commute back home, from what I understand. And huh. that's it. I have to say that that Golf R was really good. Um, despite it being the slowest at the track, it was a car that, one, is attractive because it's, it's boring in comparison to the rest of the vehicles. It's very clean interior, and uh, has it had the DSG. Additionally, super smooth, easy to get in, easy to get in, start driving without thinking that you have to like relearn how to do things. Um, the 
SDI has a very basic interior in comparison. The transmission is really uh, clunky uh, in a way. Using it in the street is not the most fun experience. On the track, you you like that like precision, that that confidence that a really strong transmission um, feels. But on the street, it was not at all an enjoy. And several of my editors stalled it. Um, and uh, additionally, with the Focus RS, it's the same thing. But the Type R was was much more reasonable with the exception of it looking crazy and the seats were a little aggressive. And I think that's all um, for cars being tested from the two of us. Any questions? So. What do you think? No, I, I think you were extremely informative. Ooh, that's very nice. Um, I have a new piece of information I'd like to share with you. It's, uh -oh. from, it's from Mercedes Benz who was explaining to us that they have some new things to share with us uh, for 2018, particularly in their new S-Class Cabriolet. Now, in a press release from Mercedes-Benz talking about the changes, they've highlighted something that I thought you would find really important in your S-Class, something called energizing comfort. I'm intrigued and I want to spend $200,000 on this energizing comfort. Tell me more about it. The energizing comfort feature is a world first that links various comfort systems, including climate control, ambient lighting, massage, and fragrancing functions. <laughs> so here's the thing. It's a memory system. <laughs> when are we going to get electrical stimulation inside <laughs> a Mercedes-Benz? Because... Energizing comfort makes me think that you know those little things that say, "Hey, maybe it's time for a break," like the mm -hmm. the, the the drowsiness detection systems that are in a lot of cars these days. That you seem to be what? capable of triggering on a whim. I triggered it twice in the Genesis G90 <laughs> while cruise control was on, so I, I have no idea what was happening there. But um, why not include some type of electrostatic shock that you know goes the distance and wakes you up and keeps you from having whatever accident the car thinks you're gonna have. I mean, I like the idea of naming something energizing comfort. I always thought comfort to be a very relaxing, a moment, a leisurely thing. But energizing is like, is like hopped up on coffee. You know what I mean? Yeah, like, but it's it's the it's the German way of 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 relaxing, where you go to a spa, uh -huh. and someone beats you with like. Uh, <laughs> What are those 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 branches like eucalyptus branches yeah. or something? Yeah. And then you you go into sauna and then you jump out into the snow and then you come back in the sauna and then you go up to the top of a mountain and you yell at the top of your lungs and then you're super relaxed. Yeah, you know? that's you're real. Comfortable, <laughs> but you're also energized. Yeah. So it's it's different than it has a different meaning here in North America where it just means like Netflix on your couch until like two in the morning and and the Netflix screen is like, are you still there? Are you still there? <laughs> <laughs> it's like that's our drowsiness. That's the North American drowsiness. This warning. It's like, oh, you you haven't moved from that position in seven hours, so we're um, calling the paramedics. I mean, I think it's a poorly named function as well. I mean, it seems contradictory. What other contradictory um, names can we help out with Mercedes in the in the future? I was thinking, um, uh, what was it going to be? It was going to be sport waftiness <laughs> in the way that I want. Yes, I want an infinite displacement engine. <laughs> displacement yes where where it's just display instead of getting more power when you put the pedal down you get more displacement <laughs> and the displacement just continues to grow and instead of a tachometer you have this like it's as big and little <laughs> it just goes towards the big or the little i mean we, we there's other um there's other examples of like weird branding throughout the industry like what about ecoboost ecoboost is a, is a turbocharger is is sorry is the name used for ford vehicles that are turbocharged uh, and turbochargers are usually designed to add horsepower, right? To make the car more powerful, not more ecological. And, and it seems like a very interesting marketing shift to to point that um, in that direction. Or when they call it Echo Boost, you meet that person who's like, hey, yeah. check out my, hey, check out my Echo Boost. Like that's that's how it makes me think like right away. And I'm like, dude, no, back away from that. Well, see, Echo Boost makes more sense to me because it's less eco-focused. Uh, what about Earth Dreams? Uh, have you ever thought that the Earth needed to um, be dreaming about these vehicles? And more like I, nightmares, I, I suppose. I like I like Honda's nomenclature because it makes me think of like '90s video games, <laughs> where where translations were more approximate than they are now. Mm -hmm. And like I can imagine myself like playing a video game where Earth Dreams was somehow involved, 
and uh, it's a very conceptual video game where I have to keep the Earth from having a nightmare of some kind, <laughs> and that nightmare is fossil fuels. <laughs> um, I think it's a poor. I think it's a really sad name. Uh, I'm not into this uh, energizing comfort. I don't think it works in its favor. And it just seems like they had to name something. They're like, you know, we have a memory function for all these features. Why don't we call it something? Is uh, it is it all caps? No, uh, energizing is in is in all caps. <laughs> <laughs> and comfort is not. I'm surprised it's not distronic <laughs> comfort plus energizing comfort. <laughs> I'm surprised it's not called speed comfort in all caps. Wow. What else could there be? There's other, like, I I can't get enough of how much the automakers brand these things. Um, And I think it's it's always a level beyond what people are are ready to deal with. I can't wait for somebody to actually show up to and show their friend, I've got this brand new S-Class and you should check out this one feature. This is energizing comfort, man. And then monster toe. You have a button on your dash that says monster, and you push it, and now all of a sudden you can tow. Like, get rid of the tow haul mode on the transmission. Just call it monster tow. Monster tow. Yeah, it's got what towing needs. I like plus minus. I mean, if somebody didn't, like, every time I get in into one, or the first time I got into a car with one of these plus minus buttons on the gear selector, my mom was like, what the hell is that? <laughs> is this going to do some math for us? No, mom, those are the gears. <laughs> Uh, it was a good week. I've got to admit, it was a really good week. What do you got coming up? I got nothing. No way. Oh wait, that's not true. I <laughs> am um, going to uh, I'm going to Detroit next week for Roadkill Nights. Ooh, can you can you tell me? I've I've only heard about Roadkill Nights once, and uh, so it was in a very been, brief conversation with you that I was barely paying attention. It's a it's it's a street legal drag racing on Woodward Avenue. Mm-hmm. So we're we're shutting down a part of Woodward in front of the M1 concourse on Saturday, next Saturday. And when I say next Saturday, I realize you don't I don't know when you're actually listening to this. So I'll be specific. It's Saturday the 12th of August, and everyone is welcome. Um, there's going to be uh, professional drag racers there. There's going to be Roadkill uh, TV personalities, uh, Freiburger and Finnegan will be there with the Roadkill cars, and you can race up against them. Some people will be selected to do that. They'll be racing against each other, and it'll just be a good time. It's a chance for the Roadkill community to get together and show off their projects and just hang out and do so in a way that's safe, but also kind of calls to mind the original uh, Woodward Avenue drag racing that happened back in the 60s when you would have engineers from the big three who would show up with prototype cars and race kids up and down the ba- the boulevard just to <laughs> see how well they were doing or how much attention the cars attracted. That's very cool. I'm looking forward to hearing about that. I won't be able to make it, but um, I can't. You could if you wanted to, but whatever. I just I have a lot going on that weekend. And, <laughs> and um, But I'm, I'm excited. I can't wait to hear what your take is on it. Uh, I also think we're going to have a guest next week on the podcast. We might. We might, but let's not jinx it. Okay, good. That's a good idea. It could be you, dear listener. It could be. <laughs> get in touch. You can get in touch with Sammy on uh, Twitter mm-hmm. at Sammy underscore ha, like you're laughing, or me at Hunting Benjamin. Or you can go to unnamedautomotivepodcast.com and check us out there. Or, or, or. You can come to our Facebook to page. Facebook page, Unnamed Automotive Podcast. You can go to SoundCloud. And you can check us out there, or you can go to iTunes or Google Play Music. And if you do either of those things, please leave us a rating of some kind, because that helps us find new listeners. Uh, Thank you so much for listening, and we'll catch you next week after Ben uh, survives Roadkill Nights. And um, I think he's going to have a lot of fun there. So we can't wait to share it with you. Bye, everybody. Take care.